0: Let's pray together. Father, those songs, the lyrics of that song are so true. Father, we know you've never failed us yet. We're so grateful that you have allowed us to be together this morning. Father, thank you for taking such good care of us. And even if our earthly life isn't always on the climb up and things aren't always going perfectly... Father, we can still sing songs like that, and we can be grateful for your faithfulness towards us, fallen people. And uh, Father, I do pray that uh, every time we come together, that we can bring you honor, that the name of your Son Jesus can be exalted, lifted up, that we can think the way you want us to think, and I pray that we can allow your word to have a deep impact on how we live our lives. And Father, I do pray, uh, especially this morning, for the Chesser family. Definitely pray for April and, uh, losing her mother this week. And just pray that you can watch over the family and uh, pray that uh, they can know that they are loved and feel the love of, of their brothers and sisters. And uh, Father, please use this time this morning. Uh, help us to not be on autopilot and uh, help us to engage emotionally emotionally spiritually, as we uh, try to understand your will uh, for our lives. And uh, we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Good to be here on a beautiful Sunday morning. I love the rain this week, and I love a little sunshine, too. So, amen. Uh, We are going to uh, continue our series on biblical justice. And uh, if you were not here uh, last week, we are going to take some time uh, to to make sure we're all up to speed and do a little bit uh, of a review uh, of some of the concepts that we've been talking about. But why in the world do we want to talk about a subject like this? Well, uh, quite honestly, I believe it's a subject that we haven't necessarily talked a ton about when it comes to the Scriptures. And uh, I believe that uh, the concept of justice is something that we hear about in our social lives, watch the news or on TV. And I uh, but however, I, I often think that we have allowed uh, our contemporary culture to shape our view of what justice is or is not. And uh, I think it's, it's helpful to go to the scriptures and to uh, at least allow ourselves to immerse ourselves in what God has done in the world. What, he, what has he been doing? How does he define these types of things? And uh, so that's kind of the heart behind it. And I shared a little bit about some of the things that I've just been reading and listening to uh, last week. And if you weren't able to listen last week, Uh, Check it out online, and hopefully that will encourage you and help you. But like I said, we'll we'll take a minute to to review uh, a little bit of uh, what we had last week and uh, in 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 times past. And the first passage I want to go to as a way of review uh, is, is a passage in Job. And it's in chapter 31. And it gives us an understanding of what it meant for Job, who was exalted by God himself. God actually Talked about Job's character as being exemplary. You know, like, wow, Job, there, there, there's no guy like Job. I mean, and so when God has that kind of commentary about your life, I think we should look at a guy like Job. And when we see Job and we, we, we realize the stuff he was going through, it, it was just so hard for him to understand, like, how is this happening to me? And, uh, you know, he says, if I have denied justice to any of my servants, whether male or female, when they had a grievance against me, well, what will I do when God confronts me? What will I answer when called to account? Did not he who made me in the womb make them? Did not the same one form us both within our mothers? And this is one of the concepts that I think is foundational to what justice means biblically. And I believe there's a concept that we're all made in the image of God. And we need to understand that and we need to treat people a certain way. That people have certain rights, or mishpat is the Hebrew word. They deserve a certain amount of justice because they're made in God's image. And Job, who was lifted up by God himself as an exemplary man in his society, he understood it. So even though people were his servants, he said, man, if I don't give them justice, that's not right. Even though they're under me, they're made in the image of God as well. And so they have a certain amount of rights just given to them by God. And again, I think it's insightful because Job had no Bible like you and I had. He had no Jesus on the cross like you and I have. He had no understanding of that in his day and age, but he still can understand this concept. Later on, he, he talks about, uh, if you can go to the next slide, please, thank you. He says, if I have regarded the sun in its radiance or the moon moving in splendor so that my heart was secretly enticed... What was he talking about? He's really talking about idolatry, right? He's talking about, man, and we know God says that's wrong. We already know that's wrong. Read the, read the Ten Commandments. You can get past the first two. You can't get past the first two, right? So he said, I'm not going to worship the sun or the moon or anything like that. But what does he say? He said, you know, these would be sins to be judged, for I would have been unfaithful to God. He, he lumps in this concept of idolatry along with mistreating people that deserve their rights as being unfaithful to God this wasn't an optional aspect of Job's character this was foundational to him of what it meant to live for God and I think those are the types of things that we need to take deep consideration of do we have the same concept that Job had you know the question I ask us you know, I think Job, had, look at how I treat vulnerable people. Like, like, that's how you can tell I'm faithful to God. You know, I, I think that was in what Job's saying there, you know. And, and I think that this is something that we can learn and grow in. And, and in Genesis 18, before we jump to the New Testament, also by way of review, I wanted to look at this because when we look at Abraham, he's the father of our faith, right? And in Genesis 18, look what it says here. The Lord said, shall I hide from Abraham what I'm about to do? Since Abraham will surely become a great and mighty nation, and in him all the nations of the earth will be blessed. For I've chosen him so that he may command his children and his household after him to keep the way of the Lord. What's the way of the Lord? By doing righteousness and justice so that the Lord may bring upon Abraham what he has spoken about him. This is, a, we're reviewing a little bit from last week, this concept of righteousness. What is righteousness? A lot of us think of self-righteousness. It's, it's righteous, the righteous person is the one that wakes up every day, reads their Bible, prays all the time, and that's good. But really the concept of righteousness in the Bible, it's really right relationships with each other. It's really a social concept more than a personal concept and I think we talk more about self-righteousness than the concept of you need to have right relationships with the people around you whether they're in the church or outside of the church that's what righteousness is getting at and so when God wants to send Abraham out into the world who ultimately the whole world will be blessed through Abraham he's like you need to do righteousness you need to treat people the right way the way that I've instructed you and mishpat this concept of justice it needs to be at the forefront of what you do in the world This is what was foundational to Christianity, honestly. This is the precursor. And I was uh, doing a study of uh, kind of this word righteousness. And this is one of the, the scholars who did a study on it. And he said, righteousness to him is that the wicked advantage themselves by disadvantaging others. But the righteous disadvantage themselves to advantage others. Righteousness is equivalent to the Mosaic teaching, to love your neighbor as yourself. This is what Abraham was sent into the world to do, the precursor of our faith, so to speak, in Jesus, to go into the world and to be willing to even disadvantage yourself because you can't love your neighbor it's going to cost you something, okay? If you're going to love somebody as you love yourself, because we love ourselves. We wake up every day and we know we're very in tune with what we want and what we need, and sometimes we mix those two categories up, right? But we'll usually take care of ourselves pretty well. (laughs) So if you're going to love your neighbor as yourself, let me help you out, guys. There's no way around it. It's going to cost you something. (laughs) You're going to be at at a disadvantage on some level to yourself because, by definition, the love you give to your neighbor, you could have just kept it for yourself. You you could have just hoarded it. So this concept, it's the the wicked in Bible. Again, we allow the 21st century, that's such a judgmental word, wicked. Guys, relax. Read your Bible. These are biblical concepts, Okay. The biblical concept of wickedness is that person that just flat out will advantage themselves even at the expense of somebody else. And so finally, how do we close out our Old Testament review? I think this is a good passage to close out before we jump into the New Testament. This is what the Lord says, according to Jeremiah. Let not the wise boast of their wisdom, or the strong boast of their strength, or the rich boast of their riches. But let one who boasts boast about this, that they have the understanding to know me, that I am the Lord who exercises kindness, justice, and righteousness on earth. For in these I delight, declares the Lord. This is what people of God should be bringing to the world, a boasting of who God is and his qualities. And these are the types of qualities. It's not just to, if you're going to know God, it's not just to have an intellectual understanding of God is great, yeah, he existed, he created, he gave us a Bible. No. It's to be like, execute, other, do these things in life. This kindness, this, this justice, treating people equitably, no matter their social standing, and even being willing to disadvantage yourself to the advantagement of others. So here's the question as we move on. As Jesus moved on to other things, you know, Our justice and righteousness just Old Testament concepts that, you know, Jesus really, he didn't really think about this. He had, he had bigger fish to fry, right, in the New Testament, right, because that was Old Testament. This is the New. Well, let's let the, let's let the Bible play itself out a little bit. And I woefully only have a few minutes to distill a big topic. If I start talking fast, I apologize, Just go to the website and push it on slow or something and maybe it'll (laughs) make more sense. We can't, I I think we have to go here, right? The first passage or the first sermon that Luke records that Jesus gave when he's in the synagogue and they give him a scroll of Isaiah in Luke chapter 4 and Jesus stands up and says, well, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim release to the captives and the regaining of sight to the blind, to set free those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And then he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant, sat down. The eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fixed on him. And then he began to tell them, Today, this scripture has been fulfilled even as you heard it being read. The first sermon Luke records that Jesus gave. And you can say, well, Jeff, you know, the the New Testament church is all about preaching and and teaching and saving lost souls. Absolutely. That's that's absolutely important (laughs) to Jesus. Read the Bible. I'm with you 100%. But sometimes I think we, we're like the body, you know, we're like the guy at the gym that like only does chest and arms, you know what I'm saying? And, he, and he's walking around, and his arms are, you know what I'm saying? But his legs are like toothpicks, you know what I mean? He just refuses to, right? It's like he's out of balance. And sometimes I think we can get that way with Scripture and what Jesus' emphasis was. As if he was only concerned with saving souls. He was only concerned with the salvation of people so that, as if that was it, that's it. As if these two concepts, this saving of souls and this concept of righteousness and justice can't somehow be together. And even, peop- even people who are oppressed and, and going through tough times or in prison or whatever, these people matter to Jesus and their earthly situations matter. And he actually wanted to do something about that too. And I think we got to look at ourselves in the mirror. Do we care about people in that way as well? And you can't, you can't see again, what is Jesus doing in this moment? He's referring to scriptures that we call the Old Testament. Okay? Because you can't read Jesus as if he's pulling stuff out of the air and making stuff up. He's quoting what God's already been talking about. okay? He's quoting Isaiah 61, the spirit of the Lord is upon me. He said, no, I know you read Isaiah, but I'm here to tell you the me is me. (laughs) It's Jesus. And then he kind of weaves in Isaiah 58. And if you want to get yourself woken up, read Isaiah 58. Woo-wee! Have you read Isaiah 58 lately? Because this is what Jesus is talking about here. Again, what's the context Of Isaiah 58. I'll tell you the context. You know, we're going to read something. Let's just go there. Because you know what? Forget about it. You just need, you know, I can't say it better than Isaiah. Because I'm not taking anything out of context. Jesus chose to, yes, he was handed this scroll, but look what he chose to talk about. Isaiah 58. Shout it aloud. Do not hold back. Raise your voice like a trumpet. Declare to my people their rebellion and to the house of Jacob their sins. For day after day they seek me out. They seem eager to know my ways. As if they were a nation that does what is right and has not forsaken the commands of his God. They ask me for decisions and they seem eager for God to come near them. Why have we fasted, they say, and you haven't seen it? Why have we humbled ourselves and you have not noticed? What's going on here? What's going on here? You know, God's saying, hey, Israel, you know what? You guys were supposed to be the people that followed in the line of Abraham, people that, you know, do justice and righteousness in the world. You're supposed to be doing that. I I created you. I pulled you out of Egypt, gave you my teachings so that you could be different than everyone in the world, and you're sitting here crying and complaining because you feel like you fast on a day and you pray and I'm not doing anything. You're the ones that aren't doing what I've asked you to do. In verse 3, on the day of your fasting, you do as you please and exploit all your workers. Whoa! Injustice. Mishpat is not being practiced. Your fasting ends in quarreling and strife and in striking each other with wicked fists. You cannot fast as you do today and expect your voice to be heard on high. Is this the kind of fast I've chosen? Only a day. For a man to be, to humble himself. And is it only for bowing one's head like a reed and for lying on sackcloth and ashes? Just the ritual, the external ritual. Is that what you call a fast? A day acceptable to the Lord? Is not this the kind of fasting I have chosen? Okay, this, this, is, this will make sense when you look at it, Luke 4. To loose the chains of injustice to untie the cords of the yoke, to set the oppressed free and break every yoke? Is it not to share your food with the hungry, to provide the poor wanderer with shelter, when you see the naked, to, to clothe them and not turn away from your own flesh and blood? Then your light will break forth like the dawn, and your healing will quickly appear Then your righteousness will go before you, and the glory of the Lord will be your rear guard. Then you will call, and the Lord will answer. You will cry for help, and he'll say, here am I. If you do away with the yoke of oppression, with the pointing finger and malicious talk, and if you spin yourselves in behalf of the hungry, disadvantage yourself for others satisfy the needs of the oppressed then your light will rise in the darkness and your night will become like the noon day I mean I'll stop there I mean you know this is the context where Jesus stands up and he's preaching based on this passage Jesus hasn't moved on from these concepts it's foundational to his ministry he's setting the tone in his first sermon this is what I'm all about don't mistreat workers. Don't oppress people. This is feed the hungry. Put clothes on people that are naked. This isn't all super spiritual language, all only about their eternal salvation. We got to figure out. We can't put those concepts at odds with each other. I think they're all intertwined. And I think we can mature and grow as Christians. And we can, we can grow in this area, I think. Let's keep moving. Matthew 11. Remember John the Baptist? He was preaching. He was, pre- he was a preacher, wasn't he? He was a fearless preacher. He was out there in the desert. He was dropping some serious sermons, the axe is at the root of the tree. You better repent. I mean, ooh, John the Baptist was hardcore. People were running to him like scared but running to him. He was, he was hardcore, right? He said when, God, when the Messiah comes, whoo, he's going to set everything right. All you guys doing wrong, he's going to take you out. I mean, he was preaching, but then he found himself in prison. And I think he started thinking, like, hold up. I mean, I'm one of the prisoners that needs to be set free. Didn't you preach that in your first sermon, bro? Cuz, I am your cousin, you know. I've been trying to hook you up, and now I'm sitting up in here in this prison. What's up? Right? And so he sent some of his disciples, hey, man, can you Make sure I'm preaching about the right dude. You know what I mean? Because I don't know about this Jesus guy. And so Jesus says, you know, receives John's disciples. He goes, hey, you know what, go tell my cousin. Go tell him this. Go back and report to John what you hear and see. The blind receive sight. The lame walk. Those who have leprosy are cleansed. The deaf hear, the dead are raised. And the good news is proclaimed to the poor. Blessed is anyone who doesn't stumble on account of me. Is this stuff important to Jesus? You want to know if I'm doing the work of God? If I, am I the anointed Messiah, John? Do you really want to know? Let me tell you how many Bible studies I've been in. Let me tell you how many Pharisees I've converted. Let, wow, he didn't say that. Look what I've been doing in the world. Look who's being affected by it. I've come to care about the people that God has cared about that the world has overlooked. And yes, I'm here to proclaim the good news of salvation, but not just for the wealthy and the healthy, but the ones that are downtrodden too. When he started his ministry in Luke chapter 4, he established what he was going to do. And then when it came time to define, well, how do we really know who you you are, who you say you are? Look at the terms he uses to describe his work in the world. Again, guys, I I just think we haven't necessarily allowed this part of Jesus' ministry to affect how we view the world. I think we're really good about caring about people's eternal salvation. I think we're really good at that. I'm just trying to present to you, I think we can grow in an understanding of there are a lot of things that we can grow in to be more mature in our faith. How about Matthew 25? You ever read that lately? Well, let's read it together then. Amen? I told you I was going to use the New Testament a lot today. We're going to to hear some more of Jesus' words. Matthew chapter 25. We'll pick it up in uh, verse 31. When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, he will sit on his throne in heavenly glory. gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me in. I needed clothes, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you looked after me. I was in prison, and you came to visit me. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, wait a minute. When do we see you hungry and feed feed you I mean when, we, when did we ever see you you know Jesus when were you thirsty and we actually gave you something to drink when do we see you a stranger and invite you in or needing clothes and clothe you when did we see you sick or in prison and go to visit you the king will reply I tell you the truth whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers of mine You did for me. But then he'll say to those on his left, depart from me, you who are cursed and into the eternal fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry and you gave me nothing to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger and you did not invite me in. I needed clothes and you did not clothe me. I was sick and in prison, and you did not look after me. They also else, well, Lord, I mean, when did we see you? Hungry or thirsty or a stranger or needing clothes or sick or in prison and did not help you? He will reply, I tell you the truth, whatever you did not do for one of the least of these, you did not do for me. And they will go away to eternal punishment, but the righteous to eternal life. What's going on there, brothers and sisters? In verse 40, he talks about whatever you did for the least of these brothers. And many of the scholars believe, and I'm swayed by that, that this is really talking about relationships within the kind of the body of Christ. That whenever he used that term in verse 40, that's translated brothers in some of our Bibles, it's always in reference to the body of Christ, you know. And so how do we treat one another? One another and you know actually i'm very i'm very proud of our congregation because i think in a lot of ways we do help each other out with material needs i'm actually very encouraged when i hear about a lot of the things that happen when somebody's down on their luck tough things happen how we come together i think that's noble and that's in, see that's encouraging that's great i think that's a part of being the body of christ and but but not only is it a what I want you to really understand from this passage and do your own study, this is an intense moment in Scripture, guys. I just read Jesus' words, okay? This is, this is an issue of judgment. <laughs> how, do you, how do you treat one another when you see needs right in front of you? Are you willing to disadvantage yourself to advantage somebody else? Or is that hard for you to do? I think it's hard. It's hard for me to do. Sometimes I can feel overwhelmed and, or whatever my reasoning is. But let, let's let Jesus' words penetrate us. I, I read a, uh, I think Lynn told me, I think, I think Lynn, you told me about this book a few years ago, um, The Hole in our, in our Gospel, and he had his own personal translation of this passage. You can take it for whatever it's worth. For I was hungry while you had all you needed. I was thirsty, but you drank bottled water. I was a stranger and you wanted me deported. I needed clothes, but you needed more clothes. I was sick and you pointed out the behaviors that led to my sickness. I was in prison and you said, I was getting what I deserved." It's powerful, I mean, but again, this is just one guy's take, but it moved me it made me think it made me think about my own life because that's what I'm trying to do I'm trying to process this in my own life you know what I mean and you do it at what you want to do with it and so then I started thinking but you know you know helping the poor it it doesn't directly contribute to building the church and I'm here an evangelist I'm supposed to build a church our top priority should be preaching teaching praying right that should be what I and so I struggle with that right Are we going to get off track? You know what I mean? It doesn't really directly. I mean, we're supposed to grow the kingdom of God. And so I I have to wrestle with that as I've prepared these messages. And and I don't know if this is right, but this is where I'm at right now. I just believe an indifference to the vulnerable is just not Christ-like. So I don't know. I'm not talking Democrat, Republican, Socialist. I'm not. Please don't politicize what I'm saying, guys. I'm just saying to me an indifference to the vulnerable is not Christlike. So how can I how can you say you're becoming more like Christ if your concern for the marginalized never increases? Cuz I don't think mine has increased the way it could. I need to grow. And I don't want to feel guilted out in the growing, and I'm not trying to guilt anybody else out. I'm just trying to show Jesus what he said, how he lived his life, <laughs> and put it against my life and go, what's up? And then I think, well, some people have thoughts like this. Well, my money, my life, my time, my stuff is my own. Amen. Well, remember these passages. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that although he was rich, he became poor, For your sakes. So that you by his poverty could become rich. What if Jesus said, Yep, that's my own blood. I'm not giving it to anybody else. First Corinthians 6. Do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who's in you, whom you've received from God? You are not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. For by the grace given me, I say to every one of you. Don't think of yourself more highly than you are. But think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the faith God has distributed to each of you. For just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members don't all have the same function, so in Christ we, though many, form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. So is it really just your stuff, your life, or do you really believe you were bought at a price? This is stuff that we got to wrestle with. They don't deserve my help. They got themselves into the trouble they're in. You ever felt that way? Okay. Well, for we too were once foolish, disobedient, misled, enslaved to various passions and desires, spending our lives in evil and envy, hateful and hating one another. The opposite of Matthew 25, amen? But when the kindness of God our Savior and his love for mankind appeared, he saved us not by works of righteousness that we have done, but on the basis of his mercy through the washing of the new birth and the renewing of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us in full measure through Jesus Christ our Savior. And so since we've been justified by his grace, we become heirs with the confident expectation of eternal life. Come, receive your inheritance. Do you see the scriptures coming together? This saying is trustworthy, and I want you to insist on such truths so that those who have placed their faith in God may be intent on engaging in good works. These things are good and beneficial for all people, not just the wealthy, not just the people that look just like you. This is what we struggle with, guys, I think. All right, but what if I give and they abuse it? Or what if they waste what I give? Okay. So I thought about Jesus. Well, at first I thought about God. What if God just had that attitude? I'm not creating, because he wouldn't create now one of us. (laughs) Right? He wouldn't create the earth. He wouldn't create anything. Why create anything? Because it's not going to return what he really wants. If God had that attitude, where would we be? What about Jesus? Choosing Judas, hanging out with Judas, laughing at Judas's jokes. When it's time to wash feet, washing Judas's feet, knowing full well Judas was going to betray him. What if Jesus had that attitude? Nah, man, I'm not giving to Judas. That dude's—he's going to abuse what I give him. What if Jesus had that attitude, right? I appreciate Paul. You know what? He's like, man, whatever gains to me, I consider loss for the sake of Christ. You know what? What's more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ and be found in Him. Not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ. The righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. I want to know Christ. I just know who he is, know how to say his name. I want to know him. What does that mean? Yeah, to know the power of his resurrection and participating in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, somehow attaining to the resurrection of the dead. If you want to be like Jesus, you're going to have to learn how to give when it gets abused and keep on giving. And I'm not just talking about food or clothes. I'm talking about your heart. I'm talking about your friendship. That's what it means to be a just, righteous society. As I close, because I'm at 31 minutes. Oop, I'm at a minute over. All people are made in God's image, right? And deserve mishpat, justice, righteousness, equitable treatment. Here's the reality, guys. The powerful, the wealthy, the influential will often mistreat those with less power, less wealth, or less influence. This is a fallen world. I believe followers of God, we have to be devoted to executing justice and righteousness in the name of Jesus as his body, the church. What am I getting at? What I'm getting at is I'm not trying to create a political party. I'm not trying to create any movement of any political kind. If we just are the church, then the world would get what it needs. If we just do the church thing, we can change the world. We don't need to affiliate or we don't need to hijack some political party and get it to puppet what we think. We can just be the church and change the world. Please don't politicize what I'm saying these last two weeks. Loving God and loving your neighbor as yourself is not easy, but you know what? That's our calling. It's our responsibility. And you know what? It's our privilege. And if you want to get inspired this week, read the parable of the Good Samaritan, because he sure did disadvantage himself to the advantage of other people. It, doesn't, it shouldn't matter what they look like, where they come from. Because people are made in God's image, they have certain rights, and may we be grateful to give them to them, Amen? amen? Let's pray. Father, I just pray we can be grateful for your heart and your attitude, for your willingness to treat us a certain way, even though we don't deserve it. We see the fullest expression of your love for us, your concern for our situation, how we were poor in spirit poor in every way compared to you, Father. But you are willing to send Jesus to die for us, to pay the price for us. We've been purchased with his blood, and we are not our own. And in these moments, God, I hope we can celebrate that and be grateful that we belong to you and be grateful for the body of Jesus that hung on that cross and the blood that he shed. And be grateful that we can take the bread and drink of the juice And have this moment where we can have what we call communion with you and with one another. Pray that we can be grateful. And I pray that we can grow to be more like Jesus. Pray in his name. Amen.